Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest order! Welcome back. Boils and ghouls, ladies and germs, all of the talking fans out there, stateside and overseas. It's a brand new episode of Talking Terror. I am your host, your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back. This week, we're going to be discussing the demonic Dr. Dave's pick, Ravenous, not the Canadian one that we discussed uh, a couple weeks back, but the 1999 American film directed by Antonia Bird. And starring Robert Carlyle, Guy Pierce, Jeffrey Jones, a whole other plethora of actors that we're going to be talking about later on in the show. So first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us for this new episode. And as always, we are going to be joined at a certain point by the Demonic Doctor himself to discuss this and many other things. But first, I'm joined by the ghoul geek Keith, the Colonel Ives to my Captain Boyd. Hello, 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 hello. How is everybody tonight? Hopefully you're hungry. Yeah, we got a nice uh, stew cooking for everybody, and I hope that you can guess what the secret ingredient is. But awfully tasty and awful meaty. Chism? Oh, no. That is one of the Yeah, well, I had to milk the monkey earlier, so he promised to give me a special ingredient himself. Even though he's not here, he is here in spirit and in the stew. So you can enjoy his special brand of tapioca. Mmm, cool glide. Stick yes, with it, well, we don't need that. Yep, we need that shit. You don't need that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't use that shit. <laughs> no, you don't. How, you, really how you doing, that. King? How's things going with you, my friend? Not too bad. You know, it's another week, another day, another episode of Talking Terror, the highlight of my week, uh, you know, talking on air with you and the other hosts about everything zany and wacky in the world of horror. So how have you been, Ghoul, uh, since we last spoke last week? Oh, I don't know. My, my life is just always the inevitable nightmare that it is, you know, because I do the fucking job that I do, and it just sucks doing it. I wish I could just erase from everybody that knows me's mind of what I do for a living so that I don't ever mm-hmm. have to hear from anybody about it. But then again, I also just wish I could just wipe from fucking existence my entire job in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like we Sorry. talked about a long time ago about how uh, if this is something that we could do for a living and actually get paid for it, I would quit now and just do this for a living. <laughs> but unfortunately, mm-hmm. sorry. Talking I'm there, sorry, Google. I'm sorry. Yes, hello, Doc. Uh, I'm sorry, Google. I know you are. <laughs> I'm sorry. Apparently, the Doc is apologizing early. So we're going to have to get that out of the way. Uh, I couldn't forget. It's what you all good. Sorry. It's all good. It's what it is, man. I shall, shall persevere and deal as always. But what's going we'll, on, we'll Doc? On. How you doing, bro? Doing okay. Uh, hello, Talking Terror. Welcome to the show, everybody. Glad to be here, as always. Excellent. Really Excellent. Glad to have you. Out of the fucking center or something. Something like that. 
The what? I'm sorry. I'm throwing tapioca all over my cage and busting out of the center, or something like that. Oh, that's the monkey's job. You know, we we leave the tapioca throwing to him, and he'll be back in September. Everybody, for those of you who haven't listened recently, he's taking a bit of a sabbatical. Apparently, he's been on bad behavior, so he needs to stay locked up in his cage until September. So he'll be back. Though, in the meantime, you get the three of us to deal with. Not that bad. Hope he's rubbing that. Hope he's rubbing that tapioca all over his tits. He's not you know who he is. No. <laughs> but as I said earlier, we're going to be discussing the Doc's pick, Ravenous from 1999. Uh, excited to talk about that later on in the show. But as always, we discuss things before we get into the movie. So, Doc, if you have anything you want to talk about uh, that we can get into, you have the floor. I have so many things. Ugh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no. All right. First... I need to just get to this right away because for some reason, it's not even a movie that I'm super excited about, but this is one that just kind of annoyed me. So everybody knows that we have upcoming for this summer, uh, people very much are looking forward to The Meg. Yeah. Thursday. Uh, so what's that? Yes, releasing this week. Oh, Thursday, okay. Yep. So... Um, so tomorrow. Well, look yes, at that. yes oh. tomorrow. So, tomorrow, which is Thursday. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. So I'm reading. Today uh, is Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> the day following Thursday is Friday. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so I'm reading this morning. That you read? They, yes. Uh, the... the um, the director, John Turtletaub, uh, came out today and said that uh, he, he cut all of the gore and fun, uh, you know, so they can have a PG-13 movie, and that uh, even people that would want to see all of that stuff are not going to get a chance to see any of it in any extended versions or whatnot because they didn't want to spend the money to finish the effects in post-production to have that stuff done. So they filmed a lot of scenes, but it needed post-production special effects, uh, and they're not doing it. Um, and look, like I said, this is not a movie that I'm super looking forward to, but the trailer looks fun. You're making a fucking movie about a goddamn fucking Megalodon, and we're going to make this shit PC-13, and you're uh, start to rip people the fuck apart. You know? Like, I understand yes, some of the... You just told me that movie can go fuck itself. <laughs> so, you know... I get when they make uh, PG-13 horror movies that are aimed at the, the, the younger audience movies, you know, like the some of the... Um, oh, shit, what the fuck was that? The, um, the series where they, they had to go to the further... What, what was that series called? Oh. Uh, uh, Stranger Things? Insidious? Yeah, like the Insidious series. Like some of that shit was PG-13 and Mama and all these other horror movies that were coming out. I get that stuff because that stuff's predicated on like jump scares and boo and what's behind the door. But you're making a movie about a goddamn Megalodon and and we're not going to see any blood. It it just really annoyed me this morning. Yeah, Um, that's a shame. I I actually thought it was rated R, so that's on me. Well, you know me as, as the fucking purist that I am for Jaws being what it is. It's the ultimate fucking shark movie. Um, of course. You know, my uh, my expectations for the Meg were very tempered to begin with. But at the very least, I did have the hopes 
that it was to be an R-rated film that, you know, would indeed at least have some of that, that yeah. gory goodness that can come from a B-grade cheesy shark film, especially well, one with a gigantic goodness. fucking shark that can, like, swallow a boat and that kind of mm. shit, man. You know, the glory goodness of a person inside the mouth of a shark. Um, I agree with you. I was not looking at this going, oh, we're going to find, like, they're going to make the shark movie. Uh, nothing. will never happen. But, again, I, and, I, and I let you guys know this, that I, this weekend, had a little bit of a marathon and spent a little time with the fishes, and I watched Jaws, Jaws 2, and the original Piranha. And maybe that's why I was feeling so strongly when I saw this news today, but I was just, just really kind of disappointed and annoyed. Yeah, I am. I support you completely, man. You know, again for me, it's like it's Jaws, and then you know, I I, I throw like Deep Blue Sea, the first one in there, just because it's so, it's so bad, it's good. It's what Jaws 3D should have been, you know. So so I can I can enjoy it for for that. You know, I know the digital effects are terrible, but they're kind of supposed to be. You know, it it, it works on all of those same fun layers. You know, It it may not have the depth or the, the character that the original Jaws has, but it's still a fucking fun ride. And, you know, in my opinion, it's a better movie than Jaws 2, so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the doc had said that he had watched uh, Jaws, the original one, Jaws 2, and Piranha, and I actually revisited uh, Piranha, the remake, that came out a couple of years ago, and the uh, sequel I that movie. over the weekend. And, <laughs> the you know, yeah. that in the theater together. It's, yes, we you do. know, I watched it when it came out in theaters, and I just kind of never re- went back to watch it. I watched it this time. I couldn't it, it, it was just so <laughs> funny, and the digital effects are cheesy, but that's okay. It's forgivable, because the movie is just a fun ride. It's gory. Yeah, it's well, got everything thing, that you want. It's a super fun B movie, and it knew exactly what it was. It wasn't trying to be yeah. something else. And I feel like when you're going to make a, a movie like this with a monster force of nature, whether it's a fucking you know, a shark or whatever, like, go for it, you know? Like, oh, we'll, right. we'll make a few extra bucks by making it PG-13. Um, like, I get it from a business standpoint, but, like, I feel like maybe if I would have known this news, like, way back when I first heard of this movie or first saw the trailer, maybe I would feel differently, but the fact that it's coming out, like, immediately and I'm learning now that it's PG-13, like, I just got way less interested in seeing it. Not that I was so interested in seeing it, but my interest <laughs> level really decreased. Well, yeah, I completely agree with that because I, I thought it was rated R, honestly. Until you brought it up at PG-13, I thought it was rated R. What part of Canada did you just come from? <laughs> yeah, Manitoba. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <fuck> yeah. <laughs> I, came, I came, you know, came down from Manitoba for a second. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. I didn't realize it was rated PG-13 until the doc brought it up. I thought it was going to be rated R. But also finding out as I was reading on it, as he was talking about it, they're never going to release it because they didn't finish the effects. That's even worse. It's not like yeah, you're going to get an unrated director's cut when the movie comes nope. out in Blu-ray. You're not going to get it at all. You're just going to get the PG-13 cut. That's just disappointing. Fun. So much fun. Yay. A Megalodon is going to eat people and we're not going to see anything. Nope. Yes. And you figured they would have the money for it, the budget-wise, you know, to film these effects and make it a good rated R film. That's just disappointing. Well... Oh, well. Moving on. What else yeah. you guys got? So, yeah, so, so moving on, on the opposite end of the spectrum of that, uh, it was uh, sometime this week, whether it was today or yesterday or something, 
the upcoming, and we've talked about this, you know, many times, and I'm not trying to open the whole rabbit hole of this movie, but with the upcoming Halloween film that has been confirmed <laughs> that is certainly going to be rated R, uh, with right. reasons being horror, violence, bloody imagery, and nudity. Which I can't wait. Needs to be an R. You can't make so, it Halloween if you make it rated PG-13. Can't do it. Got to make it an R. I can't see I them making you, it PG-13. I saw that news before, so that's all I really wanted to talk about, you know, when it comes to the new Halloween. Uh, but I did see that today. So anyway, um, sticking with uh, kind of John Carpenter involvement, I also saw today that there's going to be uh, a limited theatrical re- release in October of a 4K restoration of The Fog uh, that is going to have a limited release into the movie theaters in uh, late October. I find that to be, uh, you know, pretty cool news. I know, like, the version of the DVD that I have is, like, you know, decent as far as its imagery, but from what I was reading and from what I understand, like, editions that are out there that could be shown theatrically are, like, not really in good shape. So this 4K restoration is... uh, you know, been needed and is welcome, and they're going to celebrate it with a theatrical run, which I think is pretty cool. It's not going to be a wide release, of course. You'll have to search out and see if it's going to be playing in your area. Uh, I, for one, I know it's going to be playing somewhere in Los Angeles, but that's like five hours south of me. Uh, If I do see that they might have a showing like in San Francisco, then I might be all in for that. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up, too, is that apparently a lot of these movies are getting the 4K treatment recently. I know The Fog is going to go to theaters in 4K, uh, the Evil Dead is going to be released, the original one, uh, in a 4K transfer. Uh, the original Predator is getting a 4K transfer. And uh, Halloween, they're releasing it in theaters, but they're also going to be releasing it on uh, Blu-ray 4K. So it seems like that's what everybody's trying to do these days, is get that 4K. I feel like there, ahead, are, there are, two, like always, I feel like there are two sides to that coin. On one side of the coin, it's like the thing to do right now, uh, so people want to kind of you know, jump on it and try to capitalize and make some money, but not necessarily something like the Predator, like Predator, because I feel like it looks fine. But a lot of the older horror movies from, uh, you know, the late seventies, seventies, late seventies into the early eighties, you know, have had, you know, I'm sure like the film, like what's in the can, what the studios have, I'm sure that stuff has been digitized, but they're digitizing from a source that, you know, over time, you know, film degrades. Uh, so, uh, you know, faded colors, um, you know, when you watch some of that stuff and everything looks a little bit darker, you know, by doing this 4K restoration, they can fix all that and re- and restore it and 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 get the colors back bright and popping. I think that older movies can benefit like that. I feel like watching some of those older movies without that now, uh, you know, maybe some of the creep factor of it might be lost. But I feel like if they can take an older movie that's not in great shape and restore it to the vision of what the creators. Uh, had in mind, I feel like that's a pretty cool thing. So, as I had said, if the fog is playing somewhere close to me, I will try and see that one. Well, well I mean, the I one thing, getting... too, with that is is that you have the idea of, like, at what point does something reach too much clarity? You know, there are plenty yeah. of films yeah. that, you know, whether it's due to my memory of them or because of the original film quality of which I saw it in, that when I watch it, like, you know, because, again, like, 4K televisions, they upgrade picture on their own anyway. So even without it being a 4K, you know, if it's a Blu-ray or whatever it is, it's still going to make the picture prettier. And there's plenty of those these times that I'll have something going on there that I'm looking at it now going, 
yeah, you know, I never realized how fake something looked. Or I never realized, you know, how shitty the set was and whatnot, you know, and that kind of sucks because that kind of takes away, I feel, from the effect of the film. And especially, again, when you're dealing with older films that, you know, people have a love for, you know, if you kind of start taking away some of that mystical quality, some of that magic that might be based on nostalgia or memory, you know, it kind of you know, leads you to a bit of disappointment, you know? And that was my point, is that, uh, like, a movie like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, I would hate for it to get a 4K uh, transfer. You need to have that grit and grime on the film, because it adds to the atmosphere of the, of the setting. And I think that's what makes that movie mm-hmm. so classic to this day, is how grimy it kind of looks on film. So when you clean it up really well, then you give it a 4K restoration... You know, it's going to be too crisp, too clean, too colorful. And like the ghoul had said, I think it takes away from the experience of watching the film. Well, just real quick, if I can interject on that and work a little bit of a segue here with that, with you bringing up Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I would mm-hmm. like to bring up uh, and give some good wishes over to John Dugan, uh, Grandpa yes. from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I know he is going through some uh, some difficulties right now. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head what exactly kind it is. But uh, I know that his, fa- his, his fans, his family, they, they've put together a fundraiser for him. Uh, you can find it through Facebook if you just look up John Dugan's page. Um, anything that you can give is obviously going to help. Cancer fucking sucks, man. Um, I, I don't know anybody that hasn't been at least touched at some point by somebody that has had it, whether it's a relative that's died, a friend, or, you know, even if it's just an acquaintance or, you know, somebody that you know is fucking friend. I don't know, your dog, your cat, whatever it is. It just sucks. Um, so, again, you know, it's, it's hard for the families. It, it's hard for them to watch. And then it, it's also hard, though, on the financial end. So any little bit helps. And, and if you can, just uh, just head over there. And if anything, if all you can do is wish him well, then do that. You know, I know John. I've met him a number of times. He's a great guy. Um, always have fun with him at the horror cons. You know, I'm glad that the, the last horror con, I, you know, we got some, some awesome pictures with him. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just randomly, like, Walking by, I was like, hey, you know, and big hugs and, and all that shit, all that love going around. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so wishing him the best always. Yeah, the link to the GoFundMe that was started by his wife, uh, Stacy, is on our Talking Terror page. If you want to visit the Talking Terror page, I posted the link up there uh, where you could go and then see if you want to donate anything. Who the fuck is his Talking even... Terror? Oh, wait, that's, that's us. That's what okay. we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. But that, uh, that is, uh, it's up there. I mean, his wife even said, even if you could just go there and just say best wishes, it means a lot to John. Uh, like the ghoul had said, I had met him for the first time with the ghoul at Bizarre C1. Um, and he was just so happy that I was wearing a T-shirt with a chainsaw on it announcing Talking Terror as a podcast. And he just thought that was so cool that uh, the ghoul and I do a horror movie podcast. Um, and he was the first one to tell me that drinking PBR is actually awesome because he's a huge fan of uh, Pastel Ribbit. So, you know, John is a friend for life as I'm concerned, so. Hoping he gets well soon. Well, there's no accounting for taste, but you know that's just uh, that, that's well, all a matter of, yeah. of public opinion. That is true, but you know he is a great guy, and like you had said, it's oral cancer. It's not easy for him, so wishing him the best of luck on his his uh, getting better. So that's that's a good segue from Texas Chainsaw to John Dugan. So if you can do something, that's great. So moving on, Doc. What else do you have for us? 
Uh, I have not been a follower or fan of the entire series. I watched the one full season, uh, the Asylum season, and I saw the majority of the hotel season but never finished it. But I saw that uh, after a multi-season absence, Jessica Lange is returning to the cast of American Horror Story for their next uh, season, American Horror Story Apocalypse. Uh, yeah, it's a crossover, so... What's okay. that? It's a crossover season. They're taking two seasons, uh, Hell House or whatever the first season was called, and the cast, I guess, from Coven, which was the third season. And those Jeez. two are colliding for this upcoming season. Right. That'll be interesting. I'll have to look because, you know, a lot of the players are in a lot of the season, so it'll be interesting to see yeah. uh, how that shakes out if any performers are going to be performing different roles from those seasons because some of the characters have been in, like, you know, three, four, five of the seasons. But, you know, I think it's a good get for them. Uh, I mean, Jessica Lang is a tremendously esteemed actress that's held in high regard, so uh, I always thought that it was cool that she would do this project. And, you know, she was uh, a huge part in the one full season that I did watch, which I believe was the second season of the Asylum season. But, uh, you know, so I saw that today. What's that? Yes, uh, Asylum was season two. Yeah, it was was an all right season. You know, that was actually, uh, I'd watched the first season of the show, found myself, you know, as much as I enjoyed it, wasn't chomping at the bit to see the next season. I remember watching yeah. like the first couple of episodes of Asylum and then kind of moving on. I didn't come back yeah. until Freak Show, which was season wasn't, four. Uh, but since wasn't in season two, was in season one, I mean, because I didn't see that one. Wasn't Coach's wife in that one? Yes. Uh, Connie yes, Britton. Yeah. Yes, the Coach's wife was, um, was in that one. That's Coach's wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. see, I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, Connie Britton. But the uh, end... Uh, yeah, that Dylan is, Dylan, that is who, that's who he's talking about. That Connie is, that is Coach, Coach's wife is Connie Britton. But, um, oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so, and again, I saw... Clear eyes, full hearts, like, man. I can't lose. I feel like I saw almost every episode of the hotel one, except if not the last two, then maybe I didn't even just... Maybe just the last episode I didn't see of that season, but I watched the majority of that season. Yeah, that's, I mean, I had a love and hate fair myself with American Horror Story. I watched a little bit of uh, Hotel, gave up on it. Then I went to Election, I think was the last one they had uh, last season. And I dropped out after two episodes. I just Yeah, I, I dropped out after story. a couple episodes, too. <laughs> you know, Freak Show, I think, was my favorite of all the seasons mm-hmm. they've had so far. I thought Freak Show was my favorite one. It uh, the clown. Excuse me. It was entertaining. It was my favorite one. But, you know, they just couldn't recapture that you know, for the following two seasons. So I just kind of gave up on it. But having a crossover, I think it could be good. Um, but I think also that they announced that they're getting another two seasons. I think we're a greenlit. So I think this season is season eight. And I think they already announced they're greenlighting season nine and ten. So it doesn't look <laughs> like American Horror Story is going away anytime soon. No, the fact, you know, the thing, the thing that works for them is that with each season being its own completely different thing and in a completely separate world is, as long as their stories are decent, they can keep doing that. You know, you don't have to rely on, you know, watching the same group of people do the same thing. And, right. oh, now one is having a baby or we're going to introduce a new cast member. You know, it's like you can do whatever you want with it. So yeah. as long as it's interesting. Plus the, I mean, plus they, the fact that uh, they keep the majority of the cast. So you're watching mm-hmm. like yeah. a, a broader range 
from all of these actors. Somebody that might be playing an aggressive character in one season may come back in the following as a meter or something you would that you wouldn't see that that right. particular actor or actress portraying. Um, which is that's the one thing that I have always found fascinating about the series is seeing this broad range. It's almost like watching a, you know some kind of like a stage troupe or whatever as they're doing like you know various performances over the course of, of a number of years. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look yeah. at it. Yeah. Go ahead, Doc. <clears throat> but yeah. So anyway, uh, you know that was the. American Horror Story news that I had saw, and, you know, I feel like American Horror, Horror Story in general was a, a very cool kind of late career resurgence for Jessica Lang. so uh, happy to see that she's going back to it. Um, you know, as I have done with every season, I'll, like, read up on it, and maybe I'll get into it, but, you know, I, I haven't in a while, so, uh, you know, if, that's, if you're a watcher, a viewer, a fan of American Horror Story, and, and, and you like it, and you enjoy Jessica Lang's performance, uh, you will get to uh, hang out with her yet again uh, for the Apocalypse season of American Horror Story. <clears throat> Excellent. All right. So what else do you got, Doc? Uh, CBS with the with the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone uh, reboot slash recreation thing said that they are they've announced they didn't announce an exact date but they announced that they should be going into production within the next few months. Uh, they said they have a room. Uh, they have script outlines, et cetera, all ready to go for a 10-episode season. Uh, so it looks like this first season of the Twilight Zone reboot is going to be 10 episodes, and it should be in production sometime in the next two months. Great. I think 10 episodes is a good season to kind of end it up on. You know, 10-episode arc. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring up with uh, uh, the new Twilight Zone. I think uh, as long as they have good writers, I think anything's possible. But we'll see what time. You know what sucked, man? What sucked, What's man? That? <laughs> the new Jurassic Park movie. I just saw it this past what, weekend. It's a great thing. It was going to be good. Uh, I, well, listen. I mean, did you see Jurassic World? No. No. Okay, so that one was actually pretty fucking good. It was a good flick. Um, they introduced okay. an interesting dinosaur slash monster, you know, to to the whole thing. Um, I thought it was a very good way to bring the franchise back, especially from the dregs that were the Lost World. And even though I liked Jurassic Park 3, I do identify that that movie is not a good movie. I just enjoy it. Um, so Jurassic World was was a great flick and definitely one that I would recommend. So, yeah, being that they were bringing back, you know, Chris Pratt of Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, you know, the two main players of Jurassic World, uh, yeah, I did kind of have, have pretty strong hopes that it was going to be a good, flip, a good film and, uh, or at least a decent one. And I don't even know if I would call it that. It was really, really fucking bad. Wow. So you're saying it's on a recommend that we check out the Jurassic World 2 or whatever it's called. Lost Time. It might only be slightly better than The Lost World. I I like Slightly better. That was a good sequel. I didn't mind Lost World as much back in the theaters. Fucking horrible. Fuck out of here. A little black girl doing gymnastics to fucking kill dinosaurs. That's a stupid, (laughs) retarded movie. Uh, I I feel like maybe the last Jurassic Park 
I might have seen part of Jurassic Park 3, like, on cable or something, but I certainly know that the last time I saw anything to do with Jurassic Park in the theater was Jurassic Park 2. Uh, I was working at Ruby yeah. Tuesdays in Freehold, New Jersey at the time. And we all went there after work, and we brought in beers and tequila, and it was just an absolute, like, there was, like, bottles rolling down the freaking aisle. It was a total fucking disaster. Someone got too drunk and had to be, like, taken care of in the bathroom. Uh, there was all kinds of interpersonal, there was all kinds of interpersonal, like, like hooking up shenanigans uh, that were going on. Uh, Ghoul, I'm sure I've talked to you about this at the time. Uh, when I think of Jurassic Park, I'm like, oh, that time I went to Jurassic Park too, and everything went sideways. Um, so, uh, you know, the the newer Jurassic Park movies, um, again, it's never really been something that has been of interest to me personally. From what I understand, that first one that came out a couple years ago was like really successful and possibly really good. I uh, just never got a chance to see it, and nor was I in a rush to. And yeah, I've heard not much uh, good about this current one. Yeah, pretty much where I was with it. I just um, that's why I never went back to watch the Lost World or the, the the one that just came out, Fallen Kingdom, whatever it is, because like you know, this is just a stupid idea. Like they saw what happened in Jurassic Park. You know, why the hell would they open up a new theme park with dinosaurs? Like this is only going to end up bad, and it's just like a repeat of the first one. Where it's like, oh no, the dinosaurs are loose. This is crazy. Who thought this could happen again? Like, yeah, I'm out. But, but see, <laughs> that's, the, first that's the thing. That that's the good thing about Jurassic World. See, unlike Jurassic Park, which never got a chance to actually open. You know, remember the whole premise of that was that they were still trying oh, yeah, to get yeah. things past their their insurance company. Jurassic mm-hmm. World takes place in a, in a universe in which for ten years the park actually was fully operational. So you have like basically okay. like a you know great adventure times you know a thousand as far right. as its attractions and whatnot, an entire island full of people, and then all that chaos ensues. So you take Jurassic Park and magnify it by a lot, man. It's you know it's it's a proper sequel to that first movie. Okay, well interesting. Uh, moving on, Dave. What else do you have for us? Let's see. What else do I have for you? Um, apparently there's a anthology horror movie that I have not, maybe you guys have heard about this. I have not heard about this at all. Not a few, uh, that, uh, whatever your on demand VOD services, including Amazon, uh, and, uh, prime and Vimeo, uh, something called blood clots. Have you guys heard of blood clots? I have not heard of blood clots. Fall out of a vagina during a period. <laughs> maybe so, maybe not. Uh, but apparently, Blood Clots is an anthology horror movie with seven different, seven different stories, promising cannibals, zombies, creatures, and all kinds of fun, gory, bloody stuff. Uh, <laughs> that uh, is now on your streaming services. It's not on Netflix. It is on Prime, but in some other sources out there. Uh, but I just it sounded interesting to me when I read about it, so I just wanted to throw that out there and see if it sticks, if you will. The only other thing that that makes me think of is Marked for Death with Steven Seagal because of the Jamaicans always yelling, you know, oh, it's the blood highly, clot, man. They're blood clot. Highly, <laughs> highly, highly underrated uh, Steven Seagal. But did you know that uh, Vladimir Putin just named him the ambassador uh, for Russia? Uh, for yeah, race, for relations between between Russian and the U.S., uh, Steven Seagal is 
Russian ambassador? On the Russia side? Yeah. That guy's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> Whatever. He gives him something to do. He's not making movies that guy, anymore. That guy's out of his fucking gourd, man. So I know we've I, I brought just, this up before in the past, and uh, I finally actually got to dabble in it uh, a little bit uh, a little bit this past weekend. But I have finally experienced the full-on thing that is the newer virtual reality. Um, I know we okay. discussed it with like horror and, and stuff like that, and I have to, uh, I, I do have to eat my words a little bit here, you know. Whereas it's not, obviously not photorealistic. Um, mm-hmm. It is a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, a bunch of friends from work, you know, we we had all gotten together and met up. There's a, uh, a VR arcade in Howell, New Jersey, in which, you know, you pay like 25 bucks or whatever for an hour. Um, You know, the four of us all link in, you get into a big room, and each person is in their their own room, their own environment, in which you're tethered in and all that shit, looking like fucking lawnmower, man. Um, And we played this game called, like, Arizona Sunshine, which is like this zombie fucking game straight out of like Walking Dead style shit in which we're all kind of like, you know, we're, we're kind of at wit's end here and we've just barricaded ourselves with a couple of fucking barrels and shit and we've just got a whole shitload of guns and we just have to fend off fucking hordes and hordes of zombies as they're coming. And, you know, it's, it's great as you're sitting there and you're fucking dual wielding different kinds of fucking weapons and shooting shit left and right. You look over to your left and there's your buddy fucking about to get munched on. You know, you pop a fucking a cap in that fucker's brain and then you get eaten or something's biting at your feet. There were a number of times that honestly I looked down and there's a fucking zombie that, you know, lost its lower half of its body. And, you know, I, I did actually, I wouldn't say I jumped, but I had the knee jerk reaction to kick it. But there's nothing on your feet to have you respond in that manner. So, you know, like my, my feet obviously didn't do anything, but, you know, just thinking of what that must look like, because these rooms don't have doors or walls in the front. So, you know, the, the idea that I'm sitting there probably trying to fucking curb stomp something that's actually not there is probably hilarious for the fucking people that work there as they're seeing people react to all of these things. But, uh, but no, the technology is fun, and I'm definitely, uh, definitely interested in seeing more of the game styles that they're going to come up with. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what kind of horror elements they can come up with this shit. Hmm. guess that's like the new wave. guess that's the new video uh, progression of video games is VR. You know, I hear a lot of things about VR being the next big thing. But I've never tried it myself, but, uh, you know, if I could find a way to do it, I'd definitely be interested. Sounds like a lot of fun. I had, when I was still living in New Jersey, uh, we had a friend come over one time that had one of those, like, headsets that you plug your phone into that turns it into uh, virtual reality. And right. when he's like, oh, look, I got this virtual reality thing, and we all, like, rolled our eyes and he plugged that thing in and was like, here you go. I'm going to, I'm going to boot you up and you're going to take a helicopter ride through Dubai. And, uh, he puts this thing on me and I'm standing there. And, uh, when it was over, I realized I was standing there gripping the back of the dining room chair because it was so (laughs) real that I thought I was at the helicopter with the door open. Uh, and I was holding onto the chair to like, hang on. Mm-hmm. And I've done the phone stuff before. Um, we have one of those little 
do that that you can hook your phone into and stuff. And and whereas that is cool, man. The the, the interactive aspect of this larger design and the actual physical space of movement and it registering you. Cause again, like while you're in that room, you know, it's not like you're using a controller to move your yourself in the game. You move, you know, right. you physically move yourself. Like, so you'll walk to a location and the character in game is moving to that location. Once you come near walls, a grid comes up in the game to let you know that you're like in the proximity of a wall. So you don't walk face first into something. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, no, we, we've definitely had the experience with the phone stuff. But, uh, yeah, again, I highly recommend if, if there's a place near you. I know as far as the, this specific place, it's called uh, Control V. Um, again, they're out of Howell, New Jersey. It's a Canadian company. Howell is the only place in the States that they are located. But I know there are other companies popping up all over the place doing this kind of thing. And, it, uh, again, highly recommended. A lot of fun. All right. Good. Good recommendation if you're ever in Jersey and in the city of Howell. Uh, so, Doc, what else do you have for us in terms of news? Uh, let's see what we have here. Uh, I had no idea that apparently uh, there are 12 and now 13 entries in the Puppet Master series. I didn't have the oh, faintest yeah. clue that this was going on, uh, apparently right under my nose. I was not aware of it. But when I read the description of the new Puppet Master which maybe is the 13th or the 14th Puppet Master in the series. Uh, this one, uh, 13th, um, like, it was the title that caught my attention, and then I looked into it, and it just sounds hilarious. Whether it will translate to the screen, I have no idea. But apparently, the new Puppet Master movie is called The Littlest Reich, uh, yeah. and it's going, mm-hmm. there's going to be, like, not Nazi puppets. Um, yeah. And apparently they're claiming that it's going to be the most violent movie of all time. Uh, there's going to be animated Nazi puppets and, like, buckets of blood and gore. Uh, this is coming on August 17th, the video on demand. Uh, I haven't, I, again, I had no idea that this was still going on, but the description of this one just threw me for a loop and sounds uh, quite funny to me. So I will be looking forward to checking this one out. So I wanted to throw that out there, too. Yeah, the trailer's really good if you haven't checked it out yet. The trailer is a no, lot of fun. I'm looking, up, I'm looking up a trailer right as we speak. I had no idea. Yeah, the trailer is up. You know, it's been out for a little while now. Um, they redesigned one of the characters, you know, one of the puppets. Uh, but, yeah, the puppet match has been going on for years. I know it's at least 13. Plus, they did a crossover back in the mid-2000s, uh, Puppet Master versus Deadly Toys, which is great. Demonic you know, toys. To demonic toys. That's the Deadly Toys is the band. The thing of the demonic toys. But, yeah. That's a great one that I always enjoyed, um, that crossover. But, yeah, Puppet Master is always one of those series I always liked. It's just great fun, you know, if you have an hour and a half to waste, you know, watching little puppets kill people. Yeah, I just, I Not, just you know, uh, I had just no idea that, that this was still going on. Oh, yeah, Charles Band, he can make money off of Puppet Master until the day he dies. So wouldn't be surprised if it goes up into the 20s, you know, with his entries. Because they make money. You know, on demand, you know, on DVD, there's a huge fan base. As long as there's a, a demand, they'll be making those movies. They're cheap and easy to make. I, I've never gotten it. You know, I've uh, I've tried. I, I watched the first couple of movies. Like, I, don't know, I know I've seen the first and maybe the second, third, and possibly the fourth, but yeah. might not have been in that order, and I might not have seen them. I just, I could never get into it. Not that, not demonic toys. They're just, uh, 
killer tune. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. You know what I mean? It's like one part <laughs> gremlins, one part stupid, and no parts fucking interesting or cute. Um, I just, yeah, just never had any fucking fascination with it. So, so I saw the news about whatever the new one is. I just, uh, yeah, I just kept scrolling. Just because it's the, the little is right I and saw stuff, the news and I kept scrolling. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it uh, so that I can you know, get my hands on a copy. Um, just because I, I have, like the I have, I have the trailer yeah. currently playing right now. And I don't know. <laughs> maybe, oh, oh, maybe. Bizarre. <laughs> okay. I just saw the trailer. Uh, well, not all of it yet, but some things just happened with what I'm up to. And maybe my interest, maybe my interest has just climbed a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, this looks like it could be fun. Yeah, it, it's just, the trailer is just so bizarre and off the wall, and it just looks so much fun. Even the description, like you said, you read the description, you're like, oh, man, <laughs> they could do that? Okay, I'm in. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a good entry in the series. You know, hopefully it'll go any more fans. So have you guys heard what they're saying with the new season of The Walking Dead? With the huge time jump that they're doing? The big time jump. Uh, looks like we're going up a year and a half from the events of the last season. Oh, a whole year and a half. I didn't realize that it was that big of a time jump. Okay. Yes, yes. And, uh, I mean, according to what has been said about it, um, I guess this was a, a discussion with uh, the, the actor that plays Jesus. Um, oh, eat me. Um, <laughs> Hallelujah. They, uh, you know, basically everything has gone back to basics. Farmers are really useful and Hilltop. That was their whole deal. They were growing stuff and tending the farm animals so that the community is maybe doing better than other communities or that community is doing better than the other ones. Um, and that things are kind of going for like almost a Western vibe in which a lot of shit is broken down. So we're going to start seeing some fucking horses and carriages, oil lamps, that kind of shit. Yeah, you know, I no, I no electricity. About- I had read about those those particular details, but I hadn't seen that it was a time jump of a whole year and a half. I understood it was a time jump, but I didn't realize right. that. Well, but yes, things reading that like there's no more gasoline to find for the cars. Um, so yes, like there, and I did see a photo of like the characters with like a horse and buggy uh, kind of setup, and you know that that mysterious lady had passed off that book in in the previous season that had plans. And blueprints to, to rebuild and, and get yourselves together. So it will be certainly interesting to see how it unfolds. You know, again, I'm still as a fan as a as a fan from day one of The Walking Dead and a fan of uh, Andrew Lincoln's performance as Rick Grimes. I am still not really sure how I'm feeling about his departure. Uh, that's something that sometimes I'm like, well, fuck it, time presses on, and not everybody is going to stay in this world forever. But my other side of it is like he's the heart of the show, um, even if his heart turns evil sometimes. Like it's all set, at, at the end of the day, it's always it's based. It's he's the center. Um, yeah. But this, you know, learning that this time jump is a year and a half, and based on uh, the trailer and some of the things revealed in the trailer, uh, you know, again, I'm interested. I will be there, tuned in, and ready when the time comes. You know, I'm not one that's turned my back on it. Uh, but hearing that it's a year and a half time jump, that definitely is something that sounds interesting. And I'm curious to see how it unfolds. And seeing how many people hang on after Andrew Lincoln departs. 
you know, once Rick Rhymes is out of the picture, how many people are going to still stay tuned for The Walking Dead? Like you had said, he's the heart of the show. A lot of people probably tune in for that particular character. How many people are just going to say, well, he's out, I'm done? And I'd like yeah, to well, you know, if they're going people. to make a big push, if they're going to make a big push to make or have Daryl uh, become the lead, like, you know, Daryl has a humongous following as well. You know, I don't know if... That's true. Darryl and sucks. he's really been kind of... Well, he's been... <laughs> He hasn't always sucked, but he's been kind of useless in this most recent season. He's just been kind of in the background, all angry and brooding, and you know. Uh, I wish Merle stuck mm-hmm. around, man. Merle not oh, only made Daryl a more interesting yeah. character, but Merle himself was a more interesting character. That was the worst decision, killing him off. I, I still hate that episode. I still wish I could have kept him around. But, you yeah, know, guess, the dynamic yeah, between him and his brother is what helped make Daryl fucking, you know, the wild card that he could possibly be. You never knew exactly yeah, where his point. loyalties were going to lay because of that. And, you know, once his brother was gone, it's like, you know, he's hanging around fucking, you know, Rick and company like he's a fucking wet puppy. And, oh, give me a home, please. I need some food. I'll hunt for you. <laughs> I'll get you some stuff. You want some rabbit? I'll get you some rabbit. Oh, look at my hair. It's in my face. Oh. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want, Rick. So, but, you know, let's see if they dick, Rick. actually... Want to suck your dick, Rick? I'll suck it. I'll suck it real good. <laughs> Touch your balls. But, you know, like we had talked about, you know, they obviously are going to be giving him a huge pay increase to kind of take over as the lead. I think it was $20 million that they were going to be offering him to take over as the lead once Andrew Lincoln departs. So hopefully the writers will actually start writing good things for his character to do rather than just ride on a motorcycle and just stand around grimacing the entire time doing nothing. Flush out his character more. Give him something more to do. Well, in fun crossover news with The Walking Dead, um, going into just the, the video game aspect for a little bit, it looks like Negan from The Walking Dead is going to be entered into Tekken 7 as a playable fighting character. What? You know, that, actually might, that might actually make me interested enough to actually get that game. I haven't played a Tekken game since, like, Tekken 2. So... I was just, about <laughs> just, to to, just to fucking beat somebody up with a baseball bat? That'd be great. It's 2018. How is it not Tekken, like, 27? How is it only Tekken 7? They don't put yeah, a new one out every single up. year, man. you think it'd be up to, like, not like, 27, 28. No, see, that's the mentality of people that play sports games, who, rather mm. than actually get to Me. appreciate the game itself <laughs> for more than a couple of months because they play for that two or three months and then it's like, okay, we're going to put it away, not touch it for a while. And then it's, oh, the new one's coming out with the new guys, the new guys, the new guys. And, oh, they're going to put a feature in where I can do this or that and push this button. It's going to make me happy. Um, and then normally the game, plays, the game plays broken and they don't fucking play it anymore. But the fact that they don't Just give you updates, they should put out these sports games one, maybe every three years and fucking support the fucking game that they put out rather than fucking just tunneling out another fucking season, another season, another season with barely any fucking changes in gameplay. Sure. Okay, Doc, what are you saying? Just to directly dispute what you're saying, uh, I am currently in the midst of my probably 19th season of NHL 2014, uh, playing Mm -hmm. all 82 games plus 
playoffs in each season. Uh, and there has been four editions of that game released since uh, that I have not purchased. Uh, so I, I, I offer myself as an example to completely dispute what you are saying. Okay, but now I also will hit your dispute on this. You two do, are still using the previous generation's video game system. I will say in full honesty that I am on the PS3, and if I had a PS4, I would have bought all subsequent editions of NHL since NHL 14. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. Um, So, Doc, do you have anything else before we get into your movie pick, uh, Ravenous, for tonight? We have a movie to talk about? We do. It's your pick. You should know. Oh... Uh, no, uh, no. That was, that was, that's silly. No, uh, that was what I had on on my end. I don't know if any of of you guys have anything to add. It was a, a busy news cycle for me. I was like saving all this stuff up. So, um, you know, uh, that's what I got. I'm in. You know, I'm happy to talk about whatever other items you might have before we get to the film. But I just want to see if you guys have anything before we do that. I actually what is do. Death Race. What is Death Race Beyond Anarchy? Are they still making something that I never will watch? I know, I know. The Doctor was a fan of Death Race 2000. The original, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because the monkey had said that there was another Death Race with uh, Malcolm McDowell that just came out like a year or so ago. I have a beautiful one sheet of the original Death Race 2000 that I will. I think this is an even newer one. Okay, so I haven't heard of that one. So I guess they're making another Death Race movie. Uh, looks like it races on to oh, races on to Blu-ray, DVD, <laughs> and on demand on October second, two thousand eighteen, starring Zach McGowan, Danny Glover, and he's joining Danny returning Glover. Death Race fan. Yeah, Danny Glover joining Death Race fan favorites Danny Trejo and Fred Cooler. Uh, you know, yeah, I, don't expect, I don't expect uh, anything less of Danny Trejo than to be in something called Death Race 4 Beyond Anarchy. But what the hell is <laughs> Danny Glover's? I feel like he's slumming for this one for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, you would think he's too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he so, needs a paycheck, so why not? Just like Malcolm McDowell takes a lot of these movies. Paycheck, you know? Yeah. Make some well, money. Death Race <laughs> Beyond Anarchy. A black sop specialist, Connor Gibson, infiltrates a maximum security prison to take down legendary driver Frankenstein in a violent and brutal car race. Oh, Frankenstein's always back. It's not Death Race if you don't have a Frankenstein. Dude, I remember you making me watch that first movie. And it's still a fucking classic, dude. It's a classic. I know. It's Machine Gun Joe Perturbo. And Carradine and Frankenstein, oh, it's so great. I just remember being really high. I might have been tripping. <laughs> you um, have to. Watch probably, it, uh, I'm probably almost positive that I was probably tripping face. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, it, was, it, was, it was enjoyable. But, like, I just I can't see it in the light that I guess other people do. Mm-hmm. It just never, like, you know, as, as much as I might have enjoyed watching it during that period of time, I never had any intention to go back and see it again, nor do I really remember any of it, and I feel like my life is better that way. 
Well, there you go. You might be right about that. Uh, it's certainly uh, a product of its of its time, for sure, uh, which is an older movie. Uh, kind of hilariously, I don't want to say groundbreaking. I feel like that's way too strong of a word. Uh, but certainly, yeah, unique. definitely not groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a. The ground, the ground what I meant was the ground underneath the wheels getting getting <laughs> turned up, but uh, you know it was certainly it's a unique thing for for its time and it's it's funny and it's gory and it's strange and it's bizarre and it's certainly a a delightful feature to watch while tripping on acid for sure, um, you know and not yes, much it, that it's isn't a, a delightful thing to watch while tripping on acid. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I agree with that. But that's one that like I don't know. Like I I I. It's probably been 20 to 25 years easy since I've even watched it. Uh, I can't say how I would feel about it if I watched it now. I mean, I own it. Um, I could watch it. Uh, it's not something I ever reached for. I'm sure at some point in time I'll be like, I want to revisit this one. But I haven't done that in a long, long time. Um, but for what it is, uh, that's certainly one that I feel super strong about and love. And I think it's really funny that it's become like a modern thing, like, like a franchise. Uh, it's just, it's just such a, it's such a time capsule thing between the sets and the special effects and the performances and, and the cars and all of it. So, um, you know, when I, like, I certainly will not be watching Death Race or Beyond Energy. That's for certain. Uh, you know, but I would, I would definitely revisit Death Race 2000 at some point. All right. So, going from Death Race, uh, Beyond Energy to Ravenous. Uh, Doc, it's your pick. Uh, one of you God, suck, King, you are the shittiest segue fucking person on the face of this planet, man. Yeah. You hey, couldn't listen, come up with I some don't... little news bit to like just just get us like right into that hump, man. No, you're telling me you don't, don't have anything in your in your horror news fucking thing at all about like cannibalism. Like, has there been like some tribe found in like the fucking you know the Midwest somewhere or something? Well, no, I mean, but I'll tell you what, what I will. I will up, I will one-up the king with the segue with my bit of news that I decided to leave on the cutting room floor, and I will segue it perfectly, so here I go. So, this October, from October 4th to October 14th, at the Salem Horror Fest, there is, amongst many other movies that are going to be shown, a tremendous list of movies, if you will, uh, there is Salem? going to be a very special... Where is Salem? Salem? Say, Salem, like in Salem, Massachusetts. Salem. You mean Salem? Salem. 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 Have you thought it was so, always anyway. Salem? Anyway. So did you like uh, that? Did you like that movie from the late seventies, Salem's Lot? Yeah, I oh, love it. Salem's Lot was a classic. So, in addition no, to having a tremendous, did you ever read Salem's Lot? No, I never read that. Heard one. about the Salem witch trials? I did, and I, and, I, and I at some point in time must have bummed uh, Salem cigarettes from my wife when she used to smoke them. <laughs> but anyway, good. Uh, from October 4th to October 14th at the Horror Film Festival, they have quite a lineup over the 10 days of great films that they're going to show, including Suspiria, the original Creatures from a Black Lagoon, Tremors, Rosemary's Baby, the original Toxic Avenger, the original Alien, uh, Return of the Living Dead, and a very, very, very rare special screening of the greatest George Romero film, Day of the Dead, uh, that is going to be Debatable. presented by Romero's son, who is going to 
Uh, also take part in the presentation and sit in for a Q&A and talk about his time uh, in the 20 years that he worked with his father on his father's productions. So though, if you are a fan of the greatest George Romero movie, Game of the Dead, and you're in the Massachusetts area and want to see that on the big screen, you will have the opportunity. Uh, there's lots of cannibals and zombies and things like that. And while we're on the subject of that, it's kind of sort of related to what we're going to be talking today, talking about today, and we get to Ravenous from 1999. Mm-hmm. That's an okay segue, I guess. They didn't really go into cannibals. I didn't hear any cannibal no. in that Salem uh, right. movie. <laughs> no, and I never heard anything about anybody eating anybody, you know, at all. The zombies, yeah, but they're not cannibals. And I, I, I know I, for one, have I have never visited Salem. Um, I've, yeah, I, I never heard of it. You are, it if, if I can, I'm going to throw in one last little tidbit. And no, this does not include a segue. At least I, I'm not intending for it to. But there has been quite a number of announcements for the New Jersey Horror Con, which is taking place September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Showboat Casino in fucking, uh, well, no longer a casino, but at the Showboat in Atlantic City. Uh, We got Eddie Furlong coming to this con, who we just spoke about a couple fucking weeks ago, and I want, you know... Mr. Brainscan himself, you know, she's not my mother, Todd, fucking Edward fucking Furlong, along with another big announcement, which was Cheech fucking Marin of Cheech and Chong and Dust Till Dawn and God knows what other fucking films, man. Fucking Cheech, man, it's Cheech. Yeah, I could take a hard pass on that, but Edward Furlong, like, where have you been, sir, since the 90s? Where have you been hiding? Well, one I'm going to play with you, buddy. The one that I am actually most excited for uh, was announced also a couple of days ago, which is Ron the Hedgehog Jeremy, um, who, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, Your inspiration. Dis- who discovered his, uh, his dad's stash of fucking, you know, late 70s, early 80s porn. You know, Ron Jeremy was a staple in my, my sexual blossoming and, you know, watching movies like Bad Girls and Wanda Whips Wall Street and stuff like that, you know, where you had this big, hairy dude who wasn't very heavy at the time, you know, he had a regular, I guess what they would consider a dad body these days. But, uh, you know, here, here was this mustachioed fella with this big old dong, and just some of the stuff he was doing on screen was just so funny because he was just so animated all the time. And, and some of the things that were coming out of his mouth, it just they inspired me over the years through my own sexual fucking experiences and things that I've done, like Battletoads and fun shit, um, you sure. know, and, and things like, and like eating, you know. I, I would definitely have to say, you know, like Roger inspired me to eat human flesh, like the movie Ravenous. Which we are about Which is to a discuss. good segue. That's great. All right. Not, so, Doc, not right, but whatever. Are you going to have Ron Jeremy autograph your penis? You should. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't. As much as I might appreciate Ron Jeremy, I do not need for him to see my dick in person, nor do I need to see his dick in person. Um, I'll be just happy enough to just say hi to him and, you know, maybe have some casual conversation about the industry and broads that he's, and Bonnie is saying that he's, the ghoul girl is saying he's going to autograph her tit. 
Um, so she may be getting a tattoo or something, but you know, I don't well, think I want to see that at all. I don't want to see fucking Ron Jeremy's name on your tits. That's terrible. No. Having to look at that all the time? I don't think I'd like Do I look like a cuckold? I'm no cuck. You can sign your move. Go ahead. But no, not not into the whole cuck thing, man. I don't know. Some dudes like watching their chicks get railed by black dudes and stuff like that. That's not me. Nope, I'm good. All right, so Doc, take it away. We need to get into Ravenous from 1999. Directed by Antonia Bird. So go ahead. Ravenous from 1999. Uh, so, wow. Dramatic delay. As as any time that we have covered by one, uh, so Ravenous was directed by Antonia Bird uh, from 1999. Always interesting when we're in our genre, when you have a female director. Um, I know uh, that she was not the original director. Um, no that uh, she had to take over a couple of weeks into production, uh, that there was just uh, some differences of opinion and time uh, when things started. And, um, you know, so that's what happened. But we ended up with a female director, Antonia Bird, uh, 1999's Ravenous, starring Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, uh, Jeremy Davies, Jeffrey Jones, uh, David Arquette, um, amongst others. Uh, you know, taking place, uh, you know, in the time during and a little bit after the Mexican-American War, um, and cannibals. Uh, so I uh, don't want to talk too much about it as we are getting into it here. Uh, but here we have Ravenous, and I will leave it up to you guys if you want to uh, come forth with your initial thoughts. Uh, on the pick, on your thoughts during, after the pick, and we can start to, uh, you know, get into the details as we uh, carry on with our discussion here. All right, well, go ahead, Ghoul. I can give it to you first before I give my thoughts, but go ahead. Uh, what do you think about Ravenous? Well, you know, it's, um, this is one of those where I had never heard of this film. Um, never okay. seen it before or anything like that, but when you had uh, announced that this was your pick, uh, yeah, obviously I did a quick, you know, breeze. And when we discussed last week, you know, who was in the film, um, it, it definitely piqued my interest. Uh, I ended up watching this early, which I don't typically do. Normally I wait till like, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday to watch whatever movie we're covering for the week. This way it's a little fresher in my head when we do the show. I mean, sometimes I'm literally watching it up until the point where we're starting. Um, or at least, you know, finishing it an hour before we start here on the air. Uh, this I watched on Friday, so my, my memory may be a little hazy of it. Uh, regardless, though, I uh, started it up and was immediately taken off guard by the fact that this movie is quite humorous. Um, yep. it, it definitely threw me for a bit of a loop. And I have to say, uh, overall, I did uh, find myself enjoying it. You know, to a degree. Is it a movie that's flawed at points? Yes, of course it is. But for the most part, this was a fun little ride, man, for a fucking weird little film that I feel like sometimes doesn't get as funny as it could, nor do I feel at other times like it could get as gory as it could. But it, it finds this weird little middle point that is entertaining. Excellent. Um, you know, then when the, the doc announced it last week that he wanted to talk about Ravenous, I was really excited because Ravenous was a movie that I didn't see in theaters, but I actually saw it a couple of years later on IFC. 
back when IFC used to play a lot of horror films. And I watched it, and there was a lot of good actors, you know, in this film that I recognized, like Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, David Arquette, Jeffrey Jones. Uh, one of my favorite things about the film was the soundtrack that was done by Michael Nyman and Damon Albert because it was so disjointed with accordions and violins and trumpets, and it was just all over the place with the soundtrack, keeping in line with the 1847 timeline. Uh, like the doc had said, originally this movie was directed by Milcho Mancheski, but after a couple of weeks of him not really delivering what he was supposed to do, Robert Carlyle brought in Anthony Bird, who he had worked on back in 94 on a movie called Priest. Uh, which is a great movie if you ever guys wanted to check out that one about weird things that happen in uh, Catholic religion. Uh, but he brought her in. And the movie, like the ghoul had said, it plays as a comedy in a way, a dark comedy, more so than a horror film. It's got horrific elements. But just like last week with Antichrist, where Antichrist is more of a, a drama with horrific elements, this one is playing more to the black comedy aspect of cannibalism and the situations that take place during 1847, the Mexican-American War uh, at Fort Spencer. I just thought that it was just a great film that I think is underrated. I think if more people knew about Ravenous, I think they would have a good time with it. I think more people uh, should be talking about Ravenous than they are because it's a great little period piece of a cannibal film. Hmm. All right, good night, everybody. <laughs> thank you for listening. That's Ravenous from 1999. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, if you need Google Glide, put it on you. If you need Bonnie Beads, go there. Uh, if you need, uh, you know, anything else, uh, you know where to find us. Thank you for listening. Uh, but I agree uh, with what the ghoul had said. I have been looking forward to this one. Uh, you know, I've been doing, you know, looking, you know, reading about some, you know, well, like highly regarded, or well-regarded horror movies. Some. So the, the, the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, things maybe I haven't seen or overlooked, and this one fell into my, or fell onto my radar. Um, I certainly have appreciation for the cast. Uh, the story sounded interesting. Uh, you know, when I'm not picking, when it's my pick and I'm not picking something, like, completely absurd and out of left field just for the shit and giggles of picking something like that, say, uh, something like Killer Condom, um, you know, I do try to, to take into consideration, uh, you know, our, our, my fellow hosts. And I did have a concern uh, because I know sometimes the ghoul tends to uh, shy away and not have much interest in movies that take place, uh, you know, in, in older times, especially Westerns. Um, but this one sounded interesting to me. Uh, I had read up on it and uh, how, you know, it's like a little bit funny and a little bit scary and a little bit gory and all of this. And, so, and it all sounded fun. And I will 100% agree with the cool initial take that I feel that while it was humorous and funny, it could have been funnier. Uh, and I feel like some of the violence in war could have also been a little bit more. Uh, I don't feel it's a case of them not know, necessarily knowing what direction to go in, um, but I feel like maybe they were unsure of exactly what they had. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the things that were funny in there were really funny. I thought the, the sequence when uh, Guy Pierce is at the celebratory dinner and all these guys are, you know, waiting with uh, <laughs> yeah. great anticipation to, like, dig into their meat and then start eating, like, maniacs and you get all the chewing and squishing and all of those noises. 
feel like those kinds of seamless touches that are not like they're funny, but they're not like clobber you over the head funny. Uh, I feel like more of tones such as that would have carried this one through uh, as a as stronger in the dark comedy department. Um, and again, same thing for the tour. There were like flashes of blood and flashes of some gory imagery, uh, but I feel like that stuff could have gone stronger too. Yeah, and the uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys as we talk about some of the meat, as you will, of this movie, is Guy Pierce as Captain Boyd. What I like most about his character is that he's a flawed character. He's essentially a coward, as you see in the movie. He's not the big war hero uh, that everybody in his regiment wants to think that he is. He's a coward. He, you know, faked his own death, and he got carried away by Mexicans. And just by luck, he managed to take over this one Mexican outpost. And his men think that he's a war hero, but it's General Slauson that knows the truth, and he's a coward. And that's why he gets mm-hmm. sent to Fort Spencer in the first place to kind of waste well, away with this other regiment, you know, in the northern California area. Here's something that I was thinking about, and yes, he, he, it was totally an act of cowardice, uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about is that when he had faked his own death, when Boyd had faked his death and was being transported, and we learned, and granted he didn't eat flesh, but uh, right. we learned how much blood was dripping down into his mouth that he was consuming, uh, would it have been a stroke of luck that he uh, was able to take over that Mexican outpost, or would he have been kind of bolstered with that kind of strength uh, and, and confidence and power that came along with uh, you know, eating full-on flesh that we learn about later on in the film. That's well, I mean, that's out. absolutely that's absolutely what they were going with. I mean, he says it himself yeah. during that scene where he says he felt different. You know, because again, with the blood, when he when he got up, he said something felt different. You know, he felt mm-hmm. changed. See, he is not. You know, again, not dropping to the floor and hiding. He's not acting like a coward after he gets up out of the, off of those bodies. You know, he's rushing through at that point, you know, and, and actually, like, joining in the fight. And eventually, yes, you know, the cavalry arrives as we see him holding up, I guess, the the people that were in charge of that, that particular camp. Um, so, yeah, they, they were definitely hinting at all of the things that were to come later in the film as far as the whole Wendigo and, and you know, kind of taking the, uh, the strength of those you consume. So it was definitely coming through the blood in that point. He didn't need to consume the flesh, you know. It's, it's almost like a vampire tale of sorts. It is, and that's what we, we learned from Calhoun as well, you know, as we get into it, about the whole question of vitality, you know, and flesh and what it could do for you if you eat flesh or if you consume blood of another person, you can gain their strength. And maybe that is what got into Boyd when he was carried away by the Mexicans and he ended up overtaking their post. Um, But to basically be heralded as a war hero only for General Slauson to know the truth and basically tell him, yeah, you're going to go to Fort Spencer now because there's nothing for you to do. You're a coward. So you can go there and just waste away as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's nothing happening at Fort Spencer. And that's why I like the introduction of uh, Colonel Hart, you know, whether, you, whether or not you think about Jeffrey Jones in real life terms, as far as what he's committed, I like him in this movie. I thought he was a great character. Man, there's never been a point in my life since seeing Jeffrey Jones that I didn't feel uneasy about him. Um, <laughs> 
in the ways that makes a child uneasy. Maybe this comes from my introduction being Howard the Duck, in which, you yeah. know, he kind of turns into a fucking demon-destroying fucking demonic demonic overlord or whatever the fuck they were. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, it did not did not shock me in any way when that news came out that, you know, what he had been involved with. So, so you know, what, for, yeah. for, what, for whatever his acting abilities are, you know, for whatever characters he plays, fine. But, you know, as far as any of that other stuff, man, yeah, no surprises there. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this this takes us to... 2002 and yeah in 2002 and if you don't know we're talking about jeffrey jones uh you know his most notable role was the principal uh principal ed rooney in ferris bueller's day off i think that we could probably all agree that that's his most famous role um Mm -hmm. and in 2002 apparently he was well not apparently he was he was arrested for possession of child pornography as well as uh, being accused of soliciting a 14-year-old boy to pose for nude photographs. Uh, as this carried on... Which he pled guilty to. He pled guilty no contest to it. He pleaded no contest to a felony charge of soliciting, soliciting a minor. At the same time, the misdemeanor charge of possession of child pornography was dropped. Uh, the attorney emphasized there was no allegation of improper physical contact, and he received five years probation counseling, and he was required to register as a sex offender. Uh, since then, uh, he was arrested twice, once in 2004 <laughs> in Florida, Ooh, once in 2004 in Florida, and once in 2010 in California for failing to update his sex offender status. Uh, oh, so as far as, as far as his, uh, you know, legal situation, uh, that's, you know, where it kind of tails off. But, um, you know, he didn't stick to the terms of his probation, uh, hence the two arrests. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, now it's one of it's one of those situations where you go back and you watch. And here's one where you're watching something for the first time, but you go back and watch these movies uh, that you know and love to some degree, and you know that one of the characters on the screen has, uh, you know, taken part in in, in some heinous business, you know, and. How 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 do you how does that are you able to separate that when you watch something like First Bueller's Day Off? Uh, are you able to put that aside when you watch something for the first time like Ravenous? Like I was not able to fully engage with that character because I saw Jerry and I and I made this joke when I introduced my pick, but I see Jeffrey Jones yeah. and I think oh uh, you know he's a, a you know if, if not a full on kid toucher here's someone who was maybe dealing in some business that you know no no adult human being should be dealing in and it kind of puts a little bit of a you know? the kids. Sure, you know, but something involving a 14-year-old boy, whether it was naked photos or child pornography or whatever it is, uh, you know, when you this person is all of a sudden on the screen in front of you playing some soldier from the 1800s, you know, I have a hard time separating out that it's that it's Jerry Jones and uh, Jeff yeah. and you know, this has been the case uh, for a lot of performers for a lot of reasons over the last several years. So um, that was one thing that did maybe put a little bit of a damper for me fully. You know, he's getting into. It. Yeah, and you know, for me, I you know, I know I'm well aware of the Jeffrey Jones case and all the problems that he got into. But watching Ravenous, I just I didn't think about it. You know, I, did, I wasn't thinking about his real life problems. I was just watching him as a character. You know, to me, it wasn't Jeffrey Jones; it's Colonel Hart. <clears throat> so I'm watching him as a character and seeing what he gets into in the film. As far as leading his regiment, 
at Fort Spencer that are just looking for something to do. Um, another character in this movie is Reich, <clears throat> Private Reich, played by Neil McDonough, who is a great character. He's been in almost everything. Yeah, Neil McDonough's been in a lot of films, a lot of television over the years. He's got a yeah. very unique look to him. I really, yeah, I really, there. really like enjoyed this little introduction sequence, <laughs> and particularly his, because when they flash <laughs> to him real quick, there he is standing in a river, shirtless, screaming. You know, screaming. And the guy's name is, <laughs> yeah. You know, Colonel Wright, right. which this is taking place in like you know the 1800s, so this is before fucking the Nazis and all that shit. Right. But when I see the guy, all I'm sitting there thinking is like, this is fucking Hitler's poster boy. He's got the blonde hair, the, <laughs> the blue Aryan eyes. Race. He's in. Yeah. He's like complete like fucking Aryan. Like the master right race, there, man. Like, he's like the master the race. Yeah. Like, the name is like right there in there, you know. So you, this is that black comedy. That again, yeah. I know obviously the screenwriters were, were were doing what they were doing, but it also makes me wonder, like you know, what was the initial director's vision for this film versus Bird's vision? That you know, I know the guy was only on there for three weeks, but you know, you got to figure how much did he have to do with the planning, how much with the storyboarding? Did he like? Did he make tweaks to the script? This guy was working on this. He was prepared to direct and make this movie, and then it just gets put into somebody else's hands. Who, if that person doesn't have the same sensibility, like I wonder if maybe that's why there's that weird. Like, never going to the point of being, like, you know, too funny. Never going to mm-hmm. the point of being too gory. You know, because I see a scene like that, and it made me fucking howl. Like, his introduction <laughs> yeah. had me fucking, like, laughing hysterically. Because, again, here we are. This is, like, you know, early in the movie. And there, there has been this, this eating sequence in which you're watching all of these soldiers, you know, eating all this food. I know the name of the movie is Ravenous. This guy is looking at them, like, cutting into the meat. And they're doing these close-ups of everything. And you're watching Guy Pierce kind of, like, just get this, like, this look of, of just sickness on his face as he can't watch this, you know, and I'm just thinking in my head, like, my God, are we going to get a flashback? What is it that this fucking guy went through? Holy shit! You know, and then we go to this camp, and we get this, like, these introductions, and, you know, you see David Arquette playing David Arquette, and fucking, you know, right, screaming! (laughs) And, like, I'm like, this is going to be fucking great! And then, like, the movie kind of, like, dials down a little bit. Um, And, yes, as far as Jeffrey Jones goes, you know, like, I don't know if I could separate him from the character or not. Um, I know, like I said, you know, for me, anytime I see Jeffrey Jones, my first thought is, is, oh, hey, there's Jeffrey Jones, kid toucher, you know, or whatever, you know, fucking diddles himself <laughs> to the kid porn. But then, like I said, too, you know, for me, like even from seeing him back in the day, he just has that, that, that look, you know, like if somebody was to say like, hey, can you envision somebody that you could see molesting a child? Parts of like Jeffrey Jones yes. would have entered my 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 thoughts without yes. that ever occurring for him. You know what I mean? Like another actor that I feel that way with, and you know, again, I don't know, but it's John Lovitz. Like John Lovitz, for some reason, for me, just comes off as being somebody that would molest little boys. I, 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 I kind of understand what he's saying there, but I disagree. Like I disagree that. on the Lovitz thing. And I disagree on the Lovitz thing because his whole well, persona... because he's a Jew and you think, like him because he's a Jew. Don't no, lie. that's nothing to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you getting fucking religious around here for? <laughs> uh, I feel that 
like his whole persona, I feel like if he wanted to, he would be like too inept and a failure to fucking pull it off. Uh, Jeffrey Jones seems a little bit more nefarious. Than yeah, but you know, but with what I was talking about with with you know Wright being introduced and like uh, the Gould said with David Arquette's character, Private Cleaves. He's playing David Arquette, getting high with George, Native American, in the tent. You know, this is a regiment that's not doing anything. They're kind of just there to be in the sport, and they're just looking for something, anything that they can do. So that's why when they get introduced to Calhoun, now they have, like, a mission. Now they have a purpose because here's this guy that shows up randomly one night, and he's got this story about how he was lost for three months and, you know, had to resort to cannibalism. But there's two people still out there, so now they have a purpose. Now they're like, yeah, let's get guns, let's get our weapons, let's get knives, we're going to go get our horses. So you feel like they have a purpose now, and they're actually on a mission. So they're not even questioning it. They're just going to go. And that's the one thing I appreciated, because these guys are just bored, sitting around, waiting for something to happen. And now they have a purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, again, you know, I never at any point felt like the Calhoun character was going to be anything but fucking nefarious. I just didn't expect it to, oh, yeah. uh, to go where it goes. <laughs> no, you know, so, no, yeah. because, you know, Guy Pierce is, you know, for the first part, regardless of his flaws, is being set up as the protagonist, and Robert Carlyle's is second build, so as soon as he shows up, like, you know that he's, he's, he's the villain, you know, like, he's going to be, uh, you know, playing opposite to Guy Pierce. Like, there was no doubt about that, but, you know, so once he arrives with his tail... And yes, you feel like the, the the platoon, if you want to call it, has a purpose. Uh, you know, they're going to go and, and, and head on out and look for survivors. And while it took a little while to get here, it feels like, you know, this is where, you know, the, the movie's really getting started. You know, here we're going to we're going to pick up steam and we're going to we're going to go down, uh, you know, the rabbit hole uh, of, of what has happened. So uh, that's kind of where we are right now. And then, of course, they find out that, um you know, uh, Calhoun is not uh, who he proclaimed to be. Right, and that's the the one thing I did like is before you kind of find out who he really kind of is, they had the one scene where Private Toffler, played by Jeremy Davies, another character actor who's on Lost and a whole bunch of other things, he gets hurt after falling down a steep cliff, and he gets injured in his abdomen, and he wakes up one night with Calhoun licking his wounds. Sir, he's licking me! He's licking me! Oh, no, I just, I just, you know... He might have had an infection or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so they're really, they're playing with the fact that Calhoun is not who he says he is. He probably would have eaten the fucking guy if they didn't wake up to his screaming. Well, the, you know, him being well, the funny thing is, too, though, and, like, you know, I know you said, because, you know, uh, he's second build. Robert Carlyle is second build and everything. But when this comes out in 1999, you know, I don't know. Like, I didn't really know of Robert Carlyle back then and really i didn't even know guy pierce i didn't know guy pierce until memento um yeah yep. so really neither of these actors would have known and one of the things that i was wondering at this point when this happens um and even like jeremy davies you know who i don't know if he was going for slow adult or or what yeah again this yeah. is like one of those weird things where it's like what was the original director going to do versus what this director did or did this director do that whereas you know who knows whatever but I think one of the things they were trying to kind of go with here was was it Guy Pierce licking him too 
Like, I know mm-hmm. Calhoun's got the blood on his mouth. I know, like, everything was pointing towards him. But I feel like the movie kind of, I don't know, for some reason, because of the way everything else was going, I was wondering if, you know, Calhoun wasn't going to be the villain and wasn't going to be just that guy Pierce is so fucked up in the head and he just hasn't realized it yet. You know, like, yes, he was a coward on the field, but, like, that whatever happened did change something in him and is it going to change him to a point where he's doing things that he doesn't even realize he's doing but no, and that's a good point doesn't go that way it doesn't um it plays it more straightforward i think towards the end it kind of gets muddled a little bit um especially with boyd um you know with, with the blood in the mouth but he's also asking calhoun about what is it like to eat somebody you know, and, and, you know, do you really regain your strength? And, yes, you gain your vitality, and you kind of take your strength from a person. So, because he kind of knows, because he said that blood in his mouth, and like you had said, you know, he gets all that blood in his mouth, and all of a sudden when he gets up and attacks all the Mexicans at the outpost, he takes it over. So it, it's kind of leading the way in a way, I think, to seeing what's going to happen with Boyd, you know, as far as embracing the, the cannibalism aspect of his character. You know, I mean, unfortunately, it's one of those situations where he kind of has to do it. It's not something where he just willingly does it because he wants to. It's because he's stuck in a situation after the cave incident where you find out that Calhoun isn't who he says he is and goes insane, which is a great sequence. I love the Jeremy Davies chase sequence with Tim and Robert Carlyle, where he's freaked mm-hmm. out, uh, heart just been stabbed, and he's making all these weird uh, finger things with his you know, hands, and he goes, run. And then you just have this weird soundtrack of him being chased through the woods, like a whimsical soundtrack as he's being chased through the woods <clears throat> to ostensibly being gutted and halfway eaten by uh, Calhoun while Reich and Boyd mm-hmm. chase after. It was such a, it, and it was funny. Like, I laughed during that sequence. It was a funny little sequence, you know, black comic, you know, uh, entry in this uh, one thing. Yeah, whimsical is definitely uh, a good word for the music as it was being played at that point. You know, it uh, the music throughout the whole film was yes was odd. You know, and like this sequence in particular, it's one of those where I wonder if they they brought it to the sound guys or you know the the whoever was doing the music for the the the, the film, the score, and all that, and if they were like, hey, watch this scene and just come up with a score for what you see going on without filling in what is actually going on or anything that came before it or anything that was going to come after it, you know, like just create a piece of music for this, whatever you, whatever you feel is going on with it. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's one where they did try like dark music with it and then just fucking around. You know, as the guy is sitting there, he's bored. He's, like, waiting between takes or whatever. He just starts doing, like, this whimsical shit with it. And they're like, you know what? We're going <laughs> to fucking use that. I think it made the scene better. Like, I think that if they'd used dark music for the chase sequence between Calhoun and uh, uh, Toppler, I don't think it would have worked. I think you need to have that kind of funny, kind of weird thing because this movie's weird in general. So to kind of have that whimsical kind of theme playing as he's being chased down with Boyd and Reich and Sue, uh, I think it works. Um, you know, and you think that Reich's going to be putting up a great fight because he's this huge fighter, and he doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, he manages to get overpowered almost immediately by Calhoun and falling off the ridge. I was surprised that there wasn't a bigger fight between Reich and Calhoun, especially seeing how big of a character he was and how much of a, a soldier he was. But I think that also went to the character. He's not as big of a guy he was and what a soldier he was. you got to remember... 
Uh, these guys were fucking out at poor Spencer in the middle of nowhere. You know, Boyd yeah. was sent there almost as like a punishment. So like, we don't know why the rest of them are there, but you're maybe not the best soldier or much needed in the real fighting if they have you based in Fort Spencer. So I'm not sure about that with Wright. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Like, like you said, when you first get introduced with him, he's in the water screaming without his shirt on. So you feel like yeah, this guy's well, constantly training. I mean, we've also yeah. seen, though, with Reich, the whole, uh, the whole thing of, like, when they first get to the cave. You know, I think Reich was, was a decent soldier. I mean, maybe yeah. he was a little bit, ex- you know, maybe he was a little bit extreme, and that was why he was sent to this place or what. But, uh, you know, we see, like, when they get into the cave, you know, he's the one going down the hole. He's ready to do this. He's ready to check that. He doesn't yeah. panic when they find the bodies down there. Um, I think it's just one of those where you kind of you're caught unawares and it happens and and you know what you you get fucking killed man and then then you get eaten, which is great you know when when Boyd is stuck you down did. in the same tomb with uh, with right <laughs> after he died, just taking the flesh off his leg. I will kill you. <laughs> you know, he's like, listen, I gotta oh, you know nah. I gotta fight to survive. It's you know not uh, eating the, eating to live, not living to eat, which is what Boyd eventually does so he can get out of where he is and return to Fort Spencer with this insane story. And that's the one thing I did like is when he returns to Fort Spencer and they can't find any of the bodies. It was all cleaned up. So, it's, man, Calhoun really cleaned everything up real nice. Got rid of all the well, bodies, I, all the skeletons in the cave. But when we went down to the cave, I mean, he fucking ate every little bit of flesh off those things. I mean, those things were like bones out of a fucking museum, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, they're all so the skeletons. Yeah, Waste not, what not. <laughs> now, you know, one of the confusing things with the film, and I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, I didn't find it confusing because I figured the guy's real name is Calhoun. Um, and yeah. that there was a General Ives and that he was posing as General Ives That's when he went thought, back yeah. to the camp. Um, that yeah, he, thought, you yeah. know, stole General Ives' uniform and all of that. But, like, you know, when I looked at the Wikipedia page later, it, it specifically says that Calhoun and Ives were the same person. Yep. Um, yeah. Which I, I don't think are one of I did not believe that at all. I felt like they were two separate people, and whoever General Ives was, Calhoun had killed him, or their group had killed him, and he ate him, along with, you know, whatever woman was there with them, too, and all that well, shit. Well, I think it would have worked know, better. Maybe... Well, maybe, or maybe when you know Calhoun first showed up at Fort Spencer, maybe if he said, you know, I'm Colonel Ives, and this is what happened to my people definitively, maybe you know they were not be in such a rush to go out taking the words of a colonel. Uh, you know, maybe by playing it yeah. as that he's just like one of the minor soldiers in the group is Calhoun. Uh, you know, oh, I don't know exactly what happened, and blah blah blah. Then maybe they'd be more more uh, easy to lure them out there. Well, the no, one no, thing I, that get his, me, I get yeah. it from his standpoint, yeah. but what I'm saying is, is I just don't think that they were one and the same. I think there was a generalized. I mean, remember, his story was that by the end of it, it was what? It was Ives that was left? Ives and, and woman. Woman. So, you know, the idea is that he escaped from them, and, you know, they were all rushing back, you know, because they were looking for some booty. They figured if the woman's left, you know, here we are. We're out here in Fort Spencer. We're a Rock bunch of guys alone, except for, you know, the old Martha. Native American woman. <laughs> and, you know, they wanted some fresh bush to eat. Could be. Um, We've got bush. The one thing that confused me 
and I'm not sure if it confused you though, is when uh, Boyd gets back to Fort Spencer and you get introduced to Colonel Ives, who is now Robert Carlyle. He's clean shaven, wearing the, the Colonel uniform. And they have this moment where he says, well, I shot him. So he's obviously got a bullet in his upper shoulder. Strip him down. You're going to see that he's got a bullet hole in his shoulder because I shot him. And he's forced to kind of strip off his uniform, which took forever because it's obviously 1847. He's got 89 layers on him. But it confused me because he didn't have any bullet holes. They didn't show it. And he obviously got shot. So is he just a horrible shot or was he wearing something to protect himself from getting shot? What? <laughs> so that, that, that was my confusion because there's no wound in his shoulder. So okay. are you saying that because he eats human flesh that it goes away, that it disappears? Yeah, that, was my, that was my understanding. That, that was, was my exactly understanding. That's exactly what they were going with. He heals like Wolverine because he's gaining the powers from, he, from eating people. Okay. Like he explained, sure, yeah. he had tuberculosis as a child, mm-hmm. and he had heard a story from a Native American about, you know, this these creatures or whatever, the Wendigo, that, you know, they, they take the essence of who they consume and whatnot. And it helps, you know, it makes them strong, but it also makes them a monster. And, you know, so that's why he mm-hmm. tried it out, and it made him healthy. And so and that's yeah, that, exactly yeah. what happens with Hart. I mean, remember, you know, Colonel Hart or whatever he is, well, he yeah, got gutted. Yeah. And, you know, he got healed up as well. And that was because, you know, he was forced to consume the other people as well. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess it introduces that kind of supernatural element to it. Because when he takes off his uniform and you see his chest and he's fine, there's no bullet wound. He goes, see, told you, no bullet wound. So I guess that's what they're going with. Like you said, the whole Wendigo thing that they were bringing up. And that's um, what Martha says, is that you can't really kill a Wendigo. It just eats and eats and eats. Like there's no way that you could destroy it, just, you know, devours everything in its path. Same thing like you said about Colonel Hart when he comes back. He had obviously been stabbed a whole bunch of times, but he was brought back to life by Colonel Ives and better than ever in a way. But that I could have been without. I could have done without the whole return of Colonel Hart, even though it kind of made sense because he's killing Cleves and he killed some of the horses. So obviously Colonel Ives couldn't have done that. Had to have been somebody else. But to bring back Colonel but, Hart, no. I, I don't know. It was weak for me. Colonel Hart's, Colonel Hart's return, though, uh, you know, it sets the stage for the kind of, you know, good versus evil and curse. Right. Because it's his character, you know, who, you know, Boyd is like, let me go. You know, I can end this. You know, you got to right. let me go. And, yes, Hart first came back as part of it. But, like, somewhere in there, like, he knows this is wrong. He knows this is a curse. And he lets him go and says, you have to kill me. And, uh, you know, of which Boyd goes ahead and does. But it's that, I feel like it's that kind of self-sacrifice that's like, sets, it, I mean, it, that's what set, really sets the showdown uh, in place between Boyd and Ives. Um, so I feel like, you know, the, those guys were going to battle each other at the end no matter what. But I feel right. like it was Hart's return, uh, one who is kind of there to, show you exactly what kind of power one can have with being able to come back from the dead, uh, but then also show the other side of it, of it being a curse. And that's where I think that experience with, I feel like it's the experience with Hart where Boyd is like, all right, like I gotta, I gotta end this now. Right. 
I think it also shows the difference between the three, you know, quote unquote monsters. Because, you know, Boyd obviously has gotten a taste of this as well. Um, he, his first taste of blood was through accident or happenstance. And then it was due to necessity when he was pinned in with Reich. Um, you know, whereas Calhoun or Ives, whatever the fuck you want to call him, you know, did it out of willingness. You know, he wanted yes. to it. He sought it out to do so. And then you have the third one, which is Hart, who was actually forced to do it. You know, Hart was dying, and Calhoun forced it on him to eat them. You know, and yes. after that, once you're already nourished with it, now the curse has already taken effect. So now, again, it's almost like, you know, like you could say, with like, let's look at like Return of the Living Dead. You know what I mean? The whole idea, the reason why they eat brains is because the brains makes the pain go away. You know, because it hurts to be dead. Um, and like, I kind of feel like this was a similar thing. Or like, you know, hunger for like a vampire type of deal. Whereas, you know, they can't consume anything else because all it is that they want to consume now is that human flesh. So I think you also have that juxtaposition between the three characters of, of why and how they turned into what they turned into. It was just, for me though, it just, it felt like with Colonel Hart, it was just a plot device that they needed for the movie because when they show the, the horses being killed and Cleves is gutted and eaten on the rooftop of, of Fort Spencer, obviously it's not Colonel Ives that did it. So who could have done it? Well, we're just going to blame Boyd. He's gone insane. He's eating these people, so we're going to put him under arrest. We're going to send Martha out to get the authorities, and we're just going to have to wait here until they can pick him up and send him to jail. It was a plot device. I didn't really need it. I didn't really need Colonel Hart to come back and then have that moment where he says, I need you to kill me. I don't want to live like this anymore. It was just purely we need to figure out a way to make this third act work so we could have a final battle between Boyd. And Ives. But also, you know, Ives, you know, had, you know, he was wanting to, like, kind of have his own team and to use Fort Spencer as, like, his kind of breeding ground as people pass through the area. Uh, so by him, you know, bringing Hart back, uh, you know, he was kind of starting to, to do that. Right. And I love that line that he has when he's watching the, uh, the regiment come back to pick up Boyd. And he goes, oh, look, breakfast lunch, dinner, and dessert. <laughs> he's already got his meal planned out before they even reach the base of what he's going to do to mm-hmm. these people. You know, he thinks it's just as simple as just waiting for that because he doesn't think there's any way that Boyd's going to have any kind of revenge against him. Um, but, yeah, it, just, it, was, it was a great little scene that they had. Coming so close, ringing the bell, and then Boyd getting unleashed upon uh, Ives. It was a great final battle between both of them. Because they're both cannibals, they both know what it's like to eat, they both have strength, but I'm not sure I like the conclusion of it, because it's, I kind of wanted well, to see Boyd go and live on. I don't know if I wanted to see him get into this uh, death battle with Ives. You know, you know that, though, that Boyd was doomed, you know? Like, you got this taste, you're not going to be able to live without it. Uh, you know, they're not only with the strength, it was their rejuvenation powers, because uh, yes, these two were, you know, fighting, but they were, you know, inflicting on each other all kinds of, you know, crazy stabbings and injuries and, you know, the kind of things that even for a movie uh, is unrealistic for a character to survive from. So, you know, them, us getting to kind of see 
just how powerful they've become with their strength and their rejuvenation powers uh, led to that final fight. The one thing that I had with it is that Boyd seemed to have had it won, and this is like the you know the classic mistake, but it's sometimes often the mistakes that the villain makes. You know, yeah. after he got in the other hand and bashed Ives like four, several times in the face with that giant log and had him down through mm-hmm. the count, all he had to do was like lift that thing up over his head and smash him down again. But instead he goes oh, yeah. to like lay down on top of him uh, where he put himself right back in, in, in Ives' clutches. I just, as soon as it happened as I was watching it, I was like, well, why the fuck would he have made that move? It made no sense <laughs> yeah. to me. Um, it was just like the dumbest yeah. thing to do in a fight. Uh, it's the kind of, like I said, the kind of thing that like a stupid villain does. Um, but again, I feel like them, as they continued to battle and, you know, ended up, you know, pinned together inside the bear trap, um, I feel like Boyd knew that that was what was going to have to happen. Uh, you know, him sacrificing himself to, to kill Ives because I feel like, you know, you said you want Boyd to live on, but like, if Boyd lives on, he's going to have to be a monster, you know, and I think that was, nobody wants that. It was completely, like, told to us from Martha. I mean, she said that, you know, there's no way to kill the Wendigo. You know, right. the only thing that would do it would be to, to sacrifice oneself. And that's it. Well, yeah. Right. So at that point, once once that was told, I knew Boyd wasn't going to live out of this fucking tale. You know, it was, it was going to be everybody was going to be dying. Um, right, you know, was, one little bit yeah. that I did find funny in the earlier portion of the film, and I, what I didn't find funny were the jokes that they tried to make with it. But when they were talking to, um, to I guess what, it was Cleves? Was David Arquette's character? Yeah, um, that was Cleves. No, no. Was he Cleves? Or whoever the fuck yeah, David Arquette was. Okay, he was going Probably. off to the store to get like a mm. couple of different things, you know, <laughs> yeah. things that we, you know, like bread, eggs, stuff like that. And then they turned it into like, you know, don't be getting this and don't be getting women and all that shit. And, you know, David Arquette being David Arquette. And they get women. But what I actually found humorous to that is something that we take for granted. For them to go to the store back then, it was three-day fucking journey, oh, yeah. man, just <laughs> yeah. to get those On bare fucking necessities for something yeah. that, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, I could walk fucking 20 minutes down the block right now and go to Quick Check and get whatever the fuck <laughs> yeah. I need. Like, I love little things like that. Well, and it was also, you know, to backtrack is when Boyd is in the uh, the cabin and Cleves is back and oh, he's outside weed. and he's making the fire and he's, you know, he's working on the fire and getting stoked. And then all of a sudden, Boyd comes out and bashes him in the back with a hammer and starts ripping open his insides, and you have Cleves laughing, going, Boyd, no, and they're just laughing hysterically. And you realize mm-hmm. it's just a fantasy that he was having, so it's setting it up that he has those desires. But I also think that with the final battle with Carlisle as Captain Ives, when he pushes him into the bear trap and he pushes his head down so that the trap can release on both of them, that kind of redeems Boyd in a lot of ways, I think, as a character, from going from a coward at the beginning of the movie to redeeming himself and killing Ives. I think he can no longer really, you know, to us as a viewer, you can't really consider him a coward anymore because he committed the ultimate sacrifice, which is himself, to take out Ives. Well, not only that, but I mean, he also, and as Ives tells him, you know, if you die first, I'm going to eat you (laughs) and get out of this. Yes. Yeah, he goes, I'm going, I'm just letting you know. That was, I thought that was a very funny yeah. line, actually. And if I die first, bon appetit. <laughs> exactly, you know. So I think uh, the other thing that shows Boyd's redemption at that point is the fact that he allows himself to die. 
you know, he could have chewed on Ives' face a little bit and fucking got some of that strength and got himself out of that trap and, and kept going. But, you know, rather than do that, he, uh, he ended it all. Well, we also have the, uh, the one captain coming into the cabin where uh, Ives is making the stew. And obviously that's uh, Colonel Knox. Uh, his meat is in that stew, and he's just picking up that big, uh, you know, ladle, taking a sip, and he's like, hmm, I like this. All right. So, yep, now we got another cannibal because he's eating human flesh out of that uh, ladle. That was obviously Knox. That was the meat of that uh, stew that I was making. So, now we have another cannibal in the making. And yet, another, no you know, and yet another side of it because here is a completely accidental you know, how does that oh, yeah. guy feel when he starts to, to get that urge and that hunger, you know? He he won't even know what the fuck hit him, you know? Well, I guess Martha is around <laughs> to, to explain it to him. No, she's not. She leaves. <laughs> That's what I love. Yeah, she does. Day. She does. She takes off. She <laughs> yeah. Yep, she sees what happened to Ives and the boy, and she's like, fuck this, out. <laughs> Just leaves the camp and goes wherever she goes. That's what I loved about it. But... I also kind of dug what I was saying before he died about manifest destiny and about how all these people are going to be coming over these mountains and they're going to be looking to get their hand in gold because that's what they're going to be doing. It's going to be a whole buffet for us, man. <laughs> We're going to make it man meat. We're going to have a good time. You know, he was already planning it out while Boyd's like, well, you know, can't let that happen. But I just love the fact that he already had a plan in mind for these poor people that are going to be looking for gold. They're just going to be lunch and dinner and breakfast. Mm-hmm. It just it, it uh, was a, a great line by Carlisle. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I still kind of wanted there to be somebody to, to live, and I kind of wanted to be Boyd, but he needed to sacrifice himself, you know, and, and it made sense. But I think he could have controlled his urges, unlike Ives. Ives was doing it because he liked it. I think Boyd could have done better at controlling his urges of being a cannibal than Ives. Or Ives took enjoyment out of killing people and eating their flesh. Boyd just did it out of necessity. So I think in a way he probably could have controlled himself if he had lived. Mm. I don't know about no, that. I feel like maybe the would get too strong. I don't know. I, I I think that he had a good control of it. Like, you know, it was a necessity. You know, if I'm in a situation where I have to eat human flesh, I will, but it's not a situation of I'm just going to do it because I like it. I think eventually it would have gotten him. Possibly. I, just, I think that he was a little bit stronger than Ives was. Ives was a maniac from the get-go, you know, where Ives is just going after whatever he could do just so he can gain their strength. And I think uh, Boyd would have been a better in control of those uh, cannibalistic desires. But that sacrifice is hmm. great. And plus they go back to the, the Boyd theme that played at the beginning. I like the fact that they go back to that when you see the overhead shot of Boyd and Ives dead in this bear trap. And just kind of doing the overhead shot and then going out over the Fort Spencer. I mean, it was a great way to kind of wrap up the story. Hmm. But you wonder what the hell these captains are going to do once they see these bodies. What the fuck do we do now? Nobody to arrest. Just bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clean up and that's it, man. Again, you're talking about, you know, a time in which, you know, there was only so many questions that would be asked anyway. People died all the time and fucking bodies disappeared and people wondered and they became, you know, stories of myth. You know, even this yeah. this movie, you know, kind of takes 
takes a little bit from, uh, you know, like stuff with the Donner Party and shit like that. Well, that was the thing I was going to bring up, too, is that uh, people think about the Donner Party, but have you guys heard about Alfred Packer from back around the was same he, time? Actually, 1874. Yeah. Was he into fudge? <laughs> no. Alfred Packer from 1874 was a lot like the Ives Calhoun character, who was a part of a party that he actually ate every member of his party when they got stranded. And when he got rescued, he basically said exactly what Ives and Calhoun had said, where it's like, yeah, you know, I had to resort to eating people. I didn't like it, but, you know, I had to to survive until they actually found out the truth that he actually ate everybody without problem. And it got turned into a movie called Cannibal the Musical. Yeah, cool. Cannibal the Musical. That's Alfred Pelton. Oh, okay. There you go. Cannibal the Musical. Yeah, that's all based on Alfred Packer. So, yeah. I found that on DVD. I've seen that before. That's funny, yeah. too, because you know what? This, mo- this movie reminded me of Cannibal the Musical in a lot of ways. Along with that music going on. It's funny. I'm, lo- I'm actually looking at a picture of Alfred Packer right now. And, you know, not for nothing, but the dude looks, he looks a lot like Charles fucking Manson, man. He does. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, with his facial hair, yeah. Looks a lot like Charles Manson. But yeah, that was Same partly eyes. what the story was based on. That's odd. Yeah. So that was part of what the, ba- the story was based on, was Alfred Packer and the Donner Party, with the whole cannibalism aspect. So I thought it was kind of interesting, because I don't think enough people know about Alfred Packer, you know, and how he was arrested, because he killed his entire party and ate them. And he tried to make up this whole story that, oh, no, I, I was forced to, because I was lost. You know, and it was, a, it was made in the Cannibal the Musical, released by Troma. But that was a... A real thing that happened. He ate, he ate their assholes first, you know. That's, that's the term, <laughs> fudge packer. <laughs> well, there you go. No, because that's, that's the meatiest part of the body. Hey, listen, go for the ass first. Get all that meat back there. <laughs> I'm all about it. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. Motherfucker. But I still feel like Ravenous from 1999 uh, is still underrated. I think it's a movie that people should, you know, check out at least once. Because it's a great kind of story that's got a little bit of humor, but although, like we had said, it's, it's kind of light on the gore in a lot of ways, I think it tells a great cannibal story without getting too over the top. And plus, it's a period piece. You don't see a lot of period pieces. And I kind of wish that there would be more movies that take place um, in that kind of timeline. The movie that came out a couple of years ago called Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell. It's got yeah, a similar vibe. And it is, but it's also a period piece. Yeah, and if you have a chance to see Bone Tomahawk, it takes place during the 1800s, it deals with cannibalism, and it's fantastic. But I feel like more movies should take place during that time period, you know, if they could do it right. Obviously, I think Ravenous did it right. Bone Tomahawk did it right. I I like that time period. Back, like the Gould said, where you actually have to spend three days on horseback just to get to a town so you can get groceries. And bring it back. You know, it's not right around the corner. So you can get a pack of smokes, you know, and get your groceries. Uh, kind of like the doctor said earlier. I mean, for me, it's hit or miss. I mean, there are films that I do enjoy that time period, and then there's other ones where it's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bone Tunnel Off is, is definitely a good one. Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd like, like, I'd like to see more, more horror taking place in, like, you know, uh, ancient Greece. Like Roman Empire days. Like that's where I think we need to go next. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that there isn't movies like that because, you know, reading back in history, there's a lot of fucked up shit. 
<laughs> that happened during that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they made Caligula with um, Malcolm McDowell, which is a great, you know, uh, experience, if there ever was one. It's not exactly horror, but it's got elements in there that are, um, that takes place during that time period. But as far as ancient Greece, um, you know, I think they did try a couple years ago with that Pompeii movie. And just didn't work. Pompeii? Yeah, they made a Pompeii movie. And yeah, that was a fucking disaster out. piece, man. That was like yeah, the volcano going off and movie. shit. I put that in the horror genre, disaster movies. I mean, yeah, I but it's still, it's a disaster, it's a disaster flick. I'm talking like, you know, I don't know, like a fucking slasher of some sort, or fucking, you know, a serial killer, some kind of thriller of that, that nature, man. I mean, disaster, oh, you're talking about like a disaster, three, exactly, you're talking about a disaster film that's kind of, you know, fictionalizing something that actually happened. That's, that's what Pompeii was, you know, it was terrible, it was, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that there was criminals back then that did the exact same thing with slashing and killing people uh, during ancient Greece times and ancient Roman times. I just, I don't know if there's an audience for it. I think that's probably what studios kind of shy away from. <laughs> well, maybe Huey Bowl could do a movie like that. He'd probably be good for that. Mm. Give him a couple dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, so, <clears throat> all right, we've got uh, 10.52, uh, wrapping it up. So, yeah, once again, Ravenous. You know, thank you for the pick, uh, Doc. What kind of movie it? that I've always enjoyed? Yeah, I, you know, I, again, I've been I've been going over, as I said before, some of the stuff from the recent past that I maybe have overlooked a little bit. Um, you know, this one, I guess, uh, getting close to twenty years already, if you think about it. Um, yeah. But you know, I've been looking at stuff from the '90s and the early 2000s, uh, looking for things that are, you know, uh, not that this is such a serious movie, but something. You know, some things that were a little bit more, you know, like, not heavy, like, uh, Antichrist, you know, but just some stuff that's right. a little bit more interesting to talk about. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe next time we'll be back to the, the realms of the killer condoms, but uh, that remains to be seen. It does. But, like I said, I always kind of appreciate what you guys pick, uh, from the ghoul to you, Doc, to the monkey, when you guys make these picks, because a lot of the times it's blind views. You guys have never seen it, but you've heard about it. You kind of want to talk about it. It's on your wish list to talk about. And 99% of the time, I've already seen it, so I already know what I'm getting into. But I kind of like to see what you guys think about these movies, like Ravenous and Killer Condom and all these other movies that we've talked about. I kind of like to get a perspective that maybe I don't have. You know, maybe I haven't seen this movie in the way that you guys do. I may love it. You guys may hate it. You know, but I like to get a view either way. Because I've seen all these movies, it's kind of hard for me to go in blind. Uh, it's very rare that I go in blind to a lot of the movies that we pick. So when we pick a movie, I just like to hear a different perspective. So for my pick next week, since the monkey's on around, and we're going to do a little bit of jibber-jabber, going back and forth until he comes back, I want to take you guys back to the year 1987. Which is a good year for horror. You know, there's a lot of things coming out of that time. Uh, but I want to talk about a movie that The Monkey and I talked about uh, way back when on Talking Terror Presents, back in 2015. You guys were not a part of that conversation. So I want to bring you guys in on this one. And I want to talk about The oh, Gate. Please do. From please. The oh, Gate, please. Stephen Dorff, Tibor Tickax. I think it's a great uh, kid-friendly horror film, and I'm looking forward to hearing did you your say, thoughts. Did you say the, the Gate? Yes, 
The gaze? I love it, man. The gate. G A T E. The gate. It's funny. I, the I gate. actually just watched this less than two months ago. Uh, again, like you just said, one of those movies that's uh, a kid-friendly horror film. We we watched it with Sammy, and uh, she enjoyed it very much. So, so. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking about it because, like I said, we talked about it, the monkey and I, on the show years ago, back when Talking Terror Presents was still around, but I didn't get a chance to talk to you and the, the doc about it. So that's why I want to take the chance now and revisit The Gate from 1987 for an episode. That movie, not obviously for an episode, but that movie has come up uh, just in our general discussions during the show before. Uh, I will save it for next week, but I feel... You know, from brother arguing with older sibling, I feel that movie has one of the, the great all-time movie insults, but I will save that for next week. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I remember it well, but not in detail, but I remember this one particular insult, and I will be looking forward to talking about that next week. Oh, yeah, I know exactly the one you're talking about, too. So I'm looking forward to you bringing that up. So, uh, The Gate, 1987, directed by Tibor Tukak. That's going to be our movie for next week, uh, 1987, kid-friendly horror. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys' thoughts on it. It's one of my favorites from that era, so that's going to be me for next week. So as we close out, uh, Doc, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts next week. It is my pleasure, and I wish you all a good evening. All right. So, Ghoul, uh, with the Sexy. remaining couple minutes that we have, if you want to hit us with a plug. Sexy. Hanging low, Ron Jeremy and the ghoul together at last. Big balls, baby, big balls. Uh, Speaking of big balls, why not go check out Bonfire Bee Designs? She's got balls of all kinds. She's got balls that'll hang for three years. She's got balls that you can hang from places that you want to. (laughs) Doctor, shut the fuck up. I can tell you all about these fucking balls. Big balls, little balls, all kinds of balls, balls of all kinds of colors, balls that probably match what the fucking doctor's balls look like because of all them damn STDs that he never took care of. Fucking bracelets, <laughs> rings, necklaces, you name it, they've got them, man. They are all over the place. Uh, check it out on Facebook, Bonfire Bee Designs or Etsy, you know, all one word, Bonfire Bee Designs. Go get your fucking loved one, your partner, your animal, whatever it is. Go get us a jewelry. Excellent, excellent. And as I brought up last week, I didn't uh, bring it up at the beginning, but uh, Jennifer Rubin, part of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, Bad Dreams, uh, Screamers, a whole bunch of other movies. Her older sister, Annie, has MS. She has a GoFundMe that she's running uh, at the end of the month, uh, actually August 31st. I'm actually going to be a part of a special broadcast uh, with Crazy Train Radio to raise money for her sister with MS and medical costs and everything like that. She's got a whole lot of Nightmare on Elm Street memorabilia to give away, a whole lot of autographs, a whole lot of little tidbits for you. Every little bit counts. The GoFundMe is on the Talking Terror page. I'll repost it again if I have to, but stay tuned for that. August 31st, I'll post the link uh, so you can join in on the podcast that we're going to be doing to raise money for Jennifer Rubin. She's a friend of the show. She's a friend of me, so... Any little bit counts, and I appreciate it. And I know that Jennifer does as well. And with, with that, that we close out tonight's show of Talking with Paul. Do what you do, go oh so well. Tell us what you have to say. Stay scared.
Keep America strong. Keep watching horror movies. Until next we meet, we're going back to the 80s, kids. The Gate. Stay tuned for more. From colored balls to eight balls. Anything you need, we got it. Thank you, Roy Orbison. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.